Welcome to the Sound of the Loons presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. I'm Kendra D. St. Alvin, and I have the special, unique, honored pleasure of being joined by the one and only Manny Lagos. And what better way to start off the new year? 2023, I cannot believe it. It's January. The guys are in. I can't believe we're here, Manny. What are your uh, thoughts on the new year here? Well, happy new year. You know, um, it was uh, it felt like a long off season, but between the World Cup and then the fact that we're starting earliest we've ever started the history of the club um it was short you know we're ready to go but it certainly came right after the new year speaking of the world cup it did kind of fly by because the second the season ended guys were off they were flying you know overseas joining their national teams whatever going just going home whatever they might be doing and then we had the the luxury and the pleasure of actually having a world cup during kind of that thanksgiving christmas break you and i were lucky enough to do some you know, shows before the men's national team games um, out at the stadium, out at Allianz Field. And I haven't even talked to you since the winner of the of the uh, World Cup was named. What are your overall feelings and your thoughts on the World Cup? Argentina winning, Messi, but just the feeling of the tournament as a whole and sort of the parody in the tournament. Yeah, I think from a soccer standpoint, I thought it was an outstanding World Cup. I thought the, the games were competitive. I thought there was a ton of compelling storylines. And um, I certainly was... Um, you know, happy with, with the result by the U.S. and getting out of the group and really having to fight to figure that out. Um, certainly think we would have liked to have that game back against the Dutch because I think we could have even pushed them a little bit more to maybe sneak that win and continue in the tournament. But overall, you know, I, I think going in and the goals of, of the U.S. and in the goals of of that particular group, I think they did a great job of getting out of it. And I, show, I think they showed a lot of growth and maturity uh, from not making the World Cup four years ago. And certainly it kind of shifts to some nice excitement uh, for the buildup of the next four years with us hosting uh, along with Mexico and Canada uh, in 2026. Yeah, I'm sure Dane St. Clair, when he gets into camp, well, might have some things to say about, about the Canadian uh, showing in the World Cup, but we'll save that one for another day. <laughs> I'll get to maybe, maybe ask him that on, on another podcast. But speaking of world football and coming off the World Cup and just the excitement around it, and I don't know about you, but I feel like every four years when the World Cup, and then if you include the Women's World Cup in there as well, every couple of years, it feels like you get, I got text messages and people reaching out. Everybody was watching that final. People that maybe never watched a soccer game the whole season, the whole year, maybe even their whole life. But it is sort of the whole concept of the beautiful game of, you know, bringing people together and including people that maybe have never really enjoyed the sport before. Yeah. I think the timing was great in terms of, you know, what a tough two years uh, as a global society for humanity, what a, what a, a challenging kind of navigation of, of how we're going to move forward. And ultimately to have this come up at a time when it was just so needed, I think to just enjoy the game and remind humanity that sports and in particularly soccer really connects people in this special way. And it certainly played out. And I think from the, the idea of, of probably the two best teams or the two most compelling teams in the tournament in terms of, you know, one, the defending champions and, and a team that's full of, of all these kind of stars and, and really um, kind of potentially cementing them as, as like a generational kind of uh, a team within the world cup cycles and then a team that has the best player of all time on it that had never won a World Cup and had to figure out a way to galvanize around his qualities, his his stardom, and then have the, all these guys who not all of them were stars, but all of them left the tournament stars. 
uh, and certainly um, Argentina's resilience, their ability to navigate adversity, especially by losing that first game and come together and really kind of, I think, remind us about the need for quality and stars, but also just the need for guys wanting to come together as a group and fight and work for each other. Um, I kind of describe them as kind of these straight fighters that every game were ready to take on the world. And, and it came through in the, the final. I mean, they really took it to France. I mean, it took France a full 70 minutes to really figure out a way to get back into the game, which was a credit to what Argentina had been doing the whole tournament. And I think for that, they, they really deserved it. They, they really, every game got better and every game showed something different than the game before that made them the true champions. When you just said it, Messi may be arguably the best player currently no, for no, sure. No argument, no argument. No argument in your mind. Okay, okay. well, we're going to transition to maybe another, that there may be an argument in the sense of there was also a conversation during the World Cup about Pele, another legendary soccer player, maybe at his time the greatest player in the game, passing away in December, December 29th, so shortly after the tournament ended, but I know he wasn't doing well during the tournament, so it got quite a few mentions on the broadcast and whatnot. Um, what what would you say when you what is the first thing that comes in your mind when you hear Pele? What is the first thought that comes to your mind? Um, I I think of probably the soccer and the person combined. I think about um, you know, unlike Messi, Pele actually had a huge impact on the sport in this country. Uh, he certainly is one of the the many faces of the NASL of the seventies that inspired and gave me a, a picture of the sport and what it can be and what it was at that time. And certainly um, he made an impression, but not just because of the brilliance of what he was on the field, but the kind of person he was. Um, and then I think, um, you know, as you evolve and you grow into your own professional career, like I had, or if you grow into soccer, like other people do, or, or anybody involved in the sport and to see somebody to use uh their career as arguably the best player of all time at the time uh and then use that to really create a a bond with humanity and with the world through soccer uh it was incredibly inspiring and and certainly um you know i think we're so lucky in this country to have experienced uh, a time period of, of him both on the field and certainly a time period where he showed up in this country to inspire us off the field and Ultimately, again, I, I think he is a example of um, of what you can do uh, in this sport, in this sport, both on and off the field. I think um, too, he just had that legendary smile. He he reminds me of one of those players, especially when you go back and watch footage of him, of like truly just joy in the game. Like he was finding joy. That was his happy place. It wasn't work to him. It, it felt like. There was no place he would rather be in the moment and every moment on the field, not that he wasn't working hard, but you could see a joy about him when he was playing the game. And to think that he was in his first World Cup when he was only 17 years old and scored a couple goals in the final of that World Cup, um, I believe it was against Sweden in, in a 5-2 win. So, I mean, what does that say when you have a player like that who comes from that kind of a background with not, I mean, all the players now, all these athletes now have so much at their disposal when we talk about, especially at that level, college and national teams, what they have to, you know, enhance their training and their skills. And you know what those guys had to work with. I mean, what what would you say about his time and his life and his career and sort of his charisma around the game? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, there is at times we romanticize the the past because of of 
just the reality of it. It's a different time period, a different game. The game has essentially some what different rules or, or different kind of um, focuses. And ultimately for me, I think it just exposes again, how brilliant and, and really let's just talk about the individual brilliance of what type of soccer player it was. This was a guy who you could look at pretty much every type of movement, every type of kind of offensive goal, every type of dribbling move. I don't care if it's the Cruyff cutback or if it's the Ronaldo step overs, um, uh, you know, the Redonda is like, he's was doing all that and you can see it and you can find any type of footage, go look, you will see, this is a guy who was the original genius of the game that, you know, really inspired a whole generation of soccer players around the world that they wanted to emulate. And again, uh, I think it's pretty amazing when you watch a game and you see what type of skill these guys have, you had this kid at 17, just bursting onto the scene at the world cup to do that and then do it for so many decades was, was really impressive. And I know you and I were just talking before we started recording. This is the last thing I'll say about him. And when you, you ripped on me because I asked you if you played against him and I wondered how old you were, <laughs> but I was just thinking back to when I was in the USA cup, hearkening back to the NSC days and the, and the USA cup and everything going on there. And we had this dance competition inside the Metrodome of all places was the opening ceremonies. You remember how teams would parade into the Metrodome at the time. And my team won this silly dance competition when I was 12. And he was the one who handed us the warmups. And at the time when I was 12, I probably didn't fully appreciate that, but I repeat that story so often, but here's a guy legendary best in the, in the world, it, it, you know, at the craft. And here he is coming to, you know, the United States to the USA Cup in Blaine and in Minneapolis, Minnesota to be a part of it and hand 12 year olds warm ups. I mean, that kind of tells you a lot about the guy. It really does. And also, I, I love that you tied in the Minnesota connection there. Obviously, uh, the Thunder was a big part of helping promote and build the USA Cup and was a part of that USA Cup ceremony. I, I was off playing in a, a different market at the time, but I definitely have a ton of uh, photos of my friends who went out with him, uh, have pictures with him, have pictures with that smile you talked about. So that was a really cool moment to have him, you know, participate in one of our iconic events here in Minnesota. Well, now we get to sort of transition from a legendary um, passing of a player in Pele to that was international, that was worldwide, but locally being in the United States and growing the game here is Kevin Payne, who also passed away around Christmas time. I believe it was actually on Christmas day. And for anybody that doesn't know who Kevin Payne was, and if you were in the world of soccer, you've heard the name before because of what he's done in this league, in the United States with soccer, being part of the soccer hall of fame eventually, but passing away and part of the, the legend and the dynasty that's DC United. What did he do for the game and particularly MLS during his lifetime? Well, again, I, I think um, a lot of people um, maybe don't know the, the 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 decades of work and energy and effort that there's been so many great pioneers both on and off the field to keep this game going, to keep pushing and building to grow something that um, can be viable in terms of a, a global league or global leagues or global country that can compete and um we're certainly seeing, uh, you know, a lot of the benefits of, of a lot of individuals that have put so much time and energy into it. And this is a guy who I, I think, um, you know, was relentless in that. He was relentless in, in, in fighting to make sure uh, we kept MLS going, we kept it building, we kept it growing. Uh, he did that both on a league level, but he also did it, like you just said, with one of the most historical teams in MLS history with, you know, several, several, I think five MLS championships. 
and and really in a way that you know is what the sport's about, which is about winning. It's about pushing the sport forward, and it, it's about uh, building a club. And he did all of that. Uh, and again, he is another example of somebody who exemplified a relentlessness enough to believe in the sport uh, in this country. Well, and I think we're fortunate um, to have people like him that were part of the original fabric of trying to grow this game and grow the league in the right way. So it would be sustainable because that's a, that was a long haul from the start of MLS to where it is now. But even locally, we talk about, uh, you know, legends that pave the way and, and are make, making sure that the fabric of this sport grows. And I remember talking to Amos McGee about it when he transitioned into his new role in some of the youth development and your dad's name always comes up. I mean, there is nobody else more synonymous with growing the game in the state of Minnesota than Buzz Lagos. And so like on a local level, that sort of feels like what Kevin Payne was on a national level, trying to make sure that you grow the game in the right way. So it can be sustainable and everybody can still be having fun and, and it can be, you know, it has to be profitable at the end of the day, at least on the, on the MLS level. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, again, um, there's certainly, you know, some great names and, and great people who over these decades in Minnesota have really pushed the sport uh, and really have kept it going. You know, we were just talking about the kicks of the 70s. And, you know, you have that run from 1976 to 1981 was just amazing, impressionable for me as a young person and how that got so many people like my father really excited about his own trajectory as a coach and, and wanting to coach at a high level and wanting to push and and really be a teacher for so many young uh, boys and girls in the community. Um, and then obviously you had uh, the one year of outdoor soccer, I think in 84 in the Metrodome with the strikers coming on with the Robbie family. I think from 84 to 88, we had an indoor soccer, which was essentially vital because that was the only energy that was really being output in Minnesota from a professional level. And then certainly when you started in 1990 where this thunder, which started amateur really was to me, the result of, that generation of growing up. And now you had all these top level uh, college kids that were moving on to the pro ranks. Uh, and that's how the thunder kind of born out where it really had a base level of Minnesota amateur guys that became pro soccer players via this Avenue. And I, I think the one thing about Kevin that's, that's important is that, you know, there's, there's a soccer side, but the reality is the other superstars of this sport are currently have been in the past and will be also the front office people, the people that, um, have to really help us figure out a way to make the sport more relevant. Uh, certainly, you know, the awesomeness of, of developing and producing and, and creating talent that can come together and win for Minnesota or for MLS as a league versus um, uh, CONCACAF or frankly versus the rest of the world is might vitally important. But the off the field stuff is, is also the next phase of superstars because ultimately we have to continue to build the brand, build the relevancy and build the product while we still continue to develop and, and execute the reality that we want to be one of the top leagues in the world. It's like, you knew what my next transition was, as you're talking about building and developing superstars and con continuing that growth in the United States for soccer, talking about the MLS super draft. And we can say the debate about draft or no draft or college or, you know, for another day, because I think you and I are both on the same page of the importance still of the super draft and, and players coming out of college and playing college and being drafted. But what did Minnesota United want to accomplish in this draft? Did they accomplish it? You can maybe explain to us a little bit about the signing of a, of Emmanuel Iwe, who was already part of Minnesota United, but you had to you had to draft him. And then, of course, Ryan Jiba, who we can talk about where you guys and where as a club you first saw him play, what intrigued you about him and what you think you got in him as a pick. 
Sure. I appreciate it. I, I think first and foremost, yeah, I, I would say the college draft to me is, and always will be an important mechanism to, to build your roster because you're kind of looking at a secondary type of development model based off of when you have your academy and those kids are right around 18, 19, you have to make a decision on, on their pro trajectory. Um, and then there's another phase of development that is away from your club in this country where college, which has great facilities, is continuing to try to evolve to really have a year-round programming plan that really develops kids. That's a little bit more mature than the 18 to 19-year-old. And it's another catch-all way of, of finding more and more players who really want to play pro soccer. And again, I, I think the evolution of our, our games and leagues at the second, third, and fourth division and fifth division will continue to do that as well. But certainly the, the model of making sure that um, – we as Minnesota United look to the college draft as value is vitally important. And going into this draft, it was a little bit unique, like you said, partly because, um, you know, we were only down to two picks. We, we didn't have a third round draft pick due to some other transactions in the past. Um, and then we'll start with our second round pick um, with Eway. Uh, essentially, you know, there's a model here where he was college eligible still because he came to our tryouts via a, a team in Minnesota, a St. Cloud State that, was in college. And so um, we obviously chose to bring him in early. We chose to make sure we wanted to get to know him and wanted to see, uh, you know, this was a kid that we were really excited about. And so ultimately he's had a, a really good first year with the second team, had a little bit of an injury, but, you know, he's on a really good trajectory. So that that was an easy one for us to say, hey, this is a really good investment or can continue that investment by making sure as a college eligible that this player continues in the trajectory with us. In terms of the first round pick, um, it was a little bit unique too, because it wasn't a kid right from college, but it was another one that left college uh, a year early uh, and had gotten some USL experience. It was a player that we knew really well that we'd been following all year. So we really kind of honed in probably more positionally than we had in the past about this player. You know, sometimes you look at, you know, best available versus position or position versus best available. <clears throat> and this kind of case was kind of both for us. And we really wanted to make sure we set up to get the player we wanted, which it, it doesn't always work out that way. But this was a nice draft where, you know, I think we really did a good job of making sure we got the player we wanted uh, in the position that we were looking for. Was he on your radar, Ryan uh, Jiba, before you guys played Union Omaha in the USL Open? I mean, excuse me, in the US Open Cup? Or was he a player that, you know, you guys had had liked even prior to that? Or what what made it what kind of clicked with him? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the technical staff um, actually had him before that game and we kind of had been following him. Um, you know, sometimes we'll bring up uh, either Creighton or Omaha or or one of the PDL or USL teams to come play us during preseason or play our second team. So we'd had a few moments before that, but certainly, you know, there was a, a moment after that game where we really wanted to make sure that we were kind of creating a relationship with Omaha. We're creating a relationship with essentially you know a unique situation where you had a pro player that was going to be eligible for the college draft that you really wanted and then he was obviously with the team with the Omaha so there was a little bit more complexity in terms of you know building the the planning around the draft than maybe we had in the past from a you know kind of contractual standpoint but in terms of um the draft for us again uh we we were pretty set with what we were going to do and how we were going to go about it when you look at sort of the the current roster and now the, of course, MLS Next Pro, MNUFC 2, I know recently there was a combine up at NEC as well. How much having those other rosters to fill, does that change the way you look at the draft or the change the way you're even scouting players to come into and be a part of this club? Yeah, I think it's just exciting because it, it really starts to think about what's the next iteration of, of how you want to do a roster build that 
doesn't involve your DP players, or doesn't involve your TAM money, or doesn't involve your two U twenty two initiatives, uh, or doesn't even involve your internal kind of trade or, or kind of uh, you know market um, internal market kind of uh, evaluations. This is really about where are we going in development and how are we going to do it. And ultimately, for us, you know, with the uh, academy now up and running and really in an exciting place there, uh, and certainly the second year of the second team now kind of coming into phase two of, of, of year of that. Uh, it just puts us in a place where we can continue to look at different types of players, different levels of players, different ages of players, and ability to really kind of combine the environments that we're trying to create here to develop and really get excited about the players we're trying to bring in to actually develop. So ultimately for us, it, it's just an exciting time because, you know, again, the pathway to become a pro soccer player is, is not linear. It's not perfect. But the more you have options, the more you have an environment where you can probably get the best out of a player, the better chance that they have of making it. And certainly with the second team, with the academy, uh, with these these models now where you really can start to really have players more under your umbrella and more under your guidance, you hope that will lend itself to really what the next phase of this is hopefully even more and more players from Minnesota that are in our system at younger ages that know who we are, that are excited to play and be a part of this club from day one uh, is really an exciting piece of what I think the next phase of the club is. I always think that's the coolest piece is when you're at Allianz Field and, and you see, you know, the youngsters that are attending games or whether it's at a tournament at NSC and you see them walking around and they see the first team and they see where the first team trains. And then who knows? I mean, that's where if you see it, you can be it kind of comes into play because that could be you one day. That could be you on the first team training field. That could be you playing in Allianz field. And, and we have a perfect example of that. And Fred Emmings, you know, I mean, literally his house, you can see Allianz field from, from his front porch. So I think that is part of, part of the dream and part of the pathway. If you can see it, you can be it. Oh yeah. And I would say, you know, I've said this to you before. I probably said it on the show. Uh, the, the impressions I've got and the importance of having the kicks around in the seventies to, make me think about in a conscious or subconscious way of wanting to be involved in this sport as much as I can for the rest of my life um, is at those impersonal ages. And there's no doubt that what happens on Allianz Field every weekend uh, for seven to nine months out of the year uh, is such an impression. I mean, there's no doubt. I, I am so excited for Minnesota soccer for the next couple of decades because I know that there's tons of kids who are continually being uh, exposed to such a cool, positive atmosphere environment uh, about Minnesota soccer, about Minnesota United, about uh, what we're trying to do, we're trying to grow here. And, um, you know, we're going to have a great generation of inspired kids that I think are going to be excited to be a part of, of what we're doing here. Uh, just a couple more questions. I know the guys started rolling in. I've seen the the footage um, from the social crew on Twitter of the guys coming to the dome and or back to the bubble to try to um, get their preseason going here. What in your position now, how do you feel when preseason starts? Because first of all, NSC is kind of a ghost town when the season's not going on. So does it feel like a good energy when the guys start rolling back in? And then secondly, do you feel happy or sad when you don't have to do the beep test? <laughs> um, I would start with the first one is it, it's, you know, we're so lucky and privileged to be in the sport, be around the sport, um, having our work become here uh, at different times of, of, of season and get to be involved. There, there's nothing like the first couple of days of preseason. There's nothing. It gives me chills because, you know, the guys are coming back in, you know, 
uh, they're coming in to get ready to tell hopefully a really special story for the year. Uh, you know that the story is a tough grind and there has to be a ton of preparation physically, mentally. Uh, the unity of the group starts uh, these first couple of days and it really does. And, and, you know, the guys in the team know it and they know that it takes a lot of work, a lot of preparation to get to the level of competing this league. And then it takes even more if you want to make it a special year and win a championship. To me, um, it's been a great special days. You know, I, I put a shout out to our entire staff. There's a ton of work behind the scenes that goes into really getting this group ready to really be serviced the right way over the next uh, five to six weeks before we uh, start February 25th. And um, I think it's good. it's been off to a great start. You know, the guys are already working hard. They're three sessions in. They got another afternoon session this afternoon. And for your second question, yeah, they're running a lot. Uh, it, it is definitely a huge part of soccer. Uh, building your aerobic and anaerobic capacity is a massive part of competing. Um, and I look at, at that as something I actually miss. You know, uh, I couldn't pay for that again to tell somebody to work that hard. And I love that the guys kind of understand that's a, a big piece of who we are and what we are as a club. And they really embrace it. You know, they really understand how important uh, that unity and hard work over these next couple of weeks are. And we'll have these guys in until Friday. Uh, they'll get a day off Saturday and they'll uh, fly out to warmer weather where they can, you know, maybe focus on the same type of um, tenants we just talked about, but on a grass field and a little bit more focused on what we see, which is uh, outdoor soccer come uh, March. I'm sure that you could arrange a staff beep test or fitness day <laughs> if, if you really wanted to, but I, you know, yeah. I I'm fine with like straightforward movements It's the side to side and the jumping, you know, that I injure myself. So I try to stay, I try to stay in one straight line these days. Smart move. I I've, I've got gray hair now where I, I've got to be <laughs> careful when I, I try to like get in there with the young guys. They're, they're pretty fit nowadays. Well, thanks, Manny. I appreciate you joining us. I know we're going to catch up with you quite a few more times uh, as the season goes on and even preseason for sure to try to touch base and, and give fans and listeners kind of an idea of what is going on when the team does go away, because it is hard when they go away and the, the digital team, the video, everybody does such a great job of trying to keep people in touch with what's going on. But it's always nice to just hear from someone who who's in the know. And <laughs> I'm sure your boots will be on the ground at some point at one of those preseason um, activities and tournaments. So we'll have to check in with you again at, other, no, at another time. No, thanks so much, Kendra. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we're off and running. Uh, it's it's a big year. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we've got some big aspirations and, you know, it, it, it really starts now to roll up the sleeves and the group and the team and the club to continue to build and work and, and grow in what we've done in the past and aspire to really, you know, start the season strong end the season strong. And a lot of that uh, work starts right now. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With records, test results, and care team, you are always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho.
All right. Welcome back to Sound of the Loons here. I am now joined by the head coach, Adrian Heath of Minnesota United. And I cannot believe, is this year seven already? It feels like it's just absolutely flown by for you guys. Does it feel the same for you? It does, actually, yeah. I was. It was funny. We were talking about it when I was back home in, in December. And somebody asked me, I did a similar sort of thing there for Everton. And um, it's 13 years in the States and seven, this will be coming up to the seventh season. So, uh, yeah, it's gone pretty quick. But I've enjoyed it and uh, still as excited today as I was the day I came through the doors. Probably more so because I think now we, we're finally getting a club that is, is nearly the finished article. You know, we've well, been building this over the last, you know, the training facility, the stadium. It's all coming along nicely and, and we've, we're nearly there now. Yeah, and when you look at, I, I can see the gray skies behind you, and I've saw some footage uh, from the social digital team of guys coming back to Minnesota, back to the dome. But I was like, this is downright balmy for some of these guys to come back to Minnesota this week. It actually feels pretty warm outside, so it's not too much of a shock for those guys. Well, I think for one or two of the South Americans, it's been a bit of a shock. And I got back just in time for the big downpour of snow for a couple of days, so I couldn't get out the drive. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an eye opener, but uh, thankfully we've got the dome now, and we can get and do some proper work. And uh, as I say, we head to Florida on the 16th, so a uh, little bit of sun on our backs, get on the grass, and uh, let's get some prep going. Well, and you've always said that being a coach is the next best thing to playing. So when mm-hmm. you enter preseason, you come back to the facility. Do you get the same kind of excitement, adrenaline, sort of jitters in a different way? But now, as a coach, every year that you, when everybody starts showing up. Yeah, because I don't know why this year, Kendra, because I think because the World Cup was shoved in there, it seems longer to me, you know, and I know it's not much different, but it just seems a longer break because of the World Cup. Obviously, it went a bit quicker because of the World Cup, which I think we were all uh, grateful for. But no, I I, get, I still get that, that excitement. I, I always refer to it's like first day at school, you know, everybody's new, everybody's trying to get to know each other with all the new players, etc. So no, it's uh, it's a really good time. It's great to get the players back, um, get to know them a little bit better than you guys. So, yeah, it's um, let's get down to Florida, get some sun on the back, get, get the balls out on the grass, and let's get some preparation going for what we hope to be another another season where we can make the playoffs, make get a bit further, cup runs. That's got to be the aim. When you look at, you know, you had time to digest last season and then you turn the page and really, you guys are already sort of turning the page in the sense that the scouting is ongoing. I mean, that's that's yeah. nonstop. That's never ending, regardless yeah. of where you are in the regular season, in the postseason and whatnot. But when you look at the group that is coming in, that is showing up in Blaine this week, we can talk about veteran signing and the positionally, you know, Daniel Henry, Eric Valentin, but youngsters like Cameron Dunbar. And then you get Clint mm-hmm. Irwin, another veteran of the league. Yeah. What was most exciting to you maybe about, about the offseason and some of the things that you did? Well, I, I think certainly we're not finished yet. You know, we 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 are looking to bring at least another two, three, four players in. Um, we're down the road with a couple of them, which will probably you'll hear about in the next sort of uh, three or four days. I would I would think a couple of young defenders that we've already brought Ryan Cheever in, who uh, some of our supporters would probably know from Omaha, which. Uh, it's one of them difficult nights, but uh, no, we. Uh, I've, I've been really looking forward to to looking at some of these younger players, uh, Kendra. It's funny that I looked at my list this morning. We got ten players under the age of twenty four, 
You know, Cameron Dunbar's coming as 20. It's a big year for Tanny, who we drafted last year. He's come back really, really fit. You know, Mendes, 23. Bongi, 22. Joseph, 22. You know, a couple of the younger guys we're going to be bringing in are under 23 as well. So I'm quite excited about that core group. And I think, you know, we we bought a few, as you said, veteran leadership people in, you know, with Clint and, and Zarek and, and Daniil. And they will be invaluable because... You know, we've got the, the League's Cup this year against the Mexican teams. That takes a month. Obviously, the Open Cup, we want to. We always try and take that seriously. So we're going to need all the players. But for me personally, looking at that young core group that we've got there, you know, the likes of Arioga and Rosales and Bongi and people like that, I'm really looking forward to see how they can progress. You know, most of them, it was their first year with us last year. So now they're comfortable in the environment. They know where they're coming. They know what to expect. They know what the coaches expect of them. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to hopefully them sort of maturing this year and becoming a mainstay for the group. When you look at specifically the back line and adding that depth in Daniil Henry and Zarek Valentin, we can look at the right back situation. DJ Taylor Towards the end of the season, they really cemented yeah. his spot. But you also have Benitez that can still play there. And now, as we just yeah. said, you brought Valentin in. What what do you see from that back line? As we know, we're waiting to see what Dubasi's status is and when he'll be available. But what do you see from that back line? Well, obviously, it was a big blow for us all with Dubasi because everybody knows not only his leadership, but he's, he's an understated central defender that people don't like playing against. You know, he's quick. He's very athletic. And I thought that had an effect on us a little bit. But no, DJ came in and did brilliantly. He made the right back position his own, um, which wasn't easy because Alan Benitez come in, very experienced, played for Paraguay, but DJ beat him out for the position in the end. And as I say, we brought Daniil Henry in, who's uh, you know, he's, he's done incredibly well in this league in the past. Zarek Valentin has come in and has been at the front of all the running. So he's obviously very, very fit and healthy. And as I say, we took Ryan Jiba. You know, so we think he's got a huge upside. Uh, we liked what we saw of him within in the game, the Open Cup game this year. So we kept tabs on him from then and we had to draft him because of the way the rules are. But for a 21-year-old, he's got, you know, a little bit like DJ. When DJ came to us from North Carolina, you know, they've got like 80 games under the under their belt. So there's a little bit of experience there. But no, overall, I think with the couple of players that we hope to announce in the next few days... We have a really good mixture of experienced veteran players with leadership and some really young ones who we feel have got a really bright future. Can you give us any sort of an update on Dubasi or even a player like Hassani Dotson and what his status is um, Hassani, coming back this year? Hassani's joined in for the first two days. Um, he's, he's he's without physical contact at this moment, but he's that's around the corner. We I think March the 1st is the, the date that we penciled in for him to join in completely. You know, so that'll be great. It'd be nice having Dasani back, be like having a new player. And um and Debassi's probably I think three or four months ahead of where I thought he was going to be. You know, I, I, in all my years in football, and there's plenty of them, I've never seen that type of injury that Debassi had. So it was a really, you know, there's not an awful lot of research and um a lot of experience for people to look at that type of injury, but he he, he looks as though he's in real good condition and um you know, we might even see him back before we thought we were going to do, which would be great. 
And kind of focusing in on the midfield here, I mean, having another player back like Joseph Rosales, having him back in the mix, knowing that you're going to have him. You talked about Hassani just being back and hopefully available. You've got Will Trapp. You've got Ariaga. There's no shortage of quality in that midfield. You could put Robin there if you wanted to. You've got Ray. So how important is that to have such a solidified central midfield, regardless of the back back line and how it shapes up? Yeah, I think that the competition for places in there is going to be fierce. Um, you know, Kervin started incredibly well last year and then got a, a bad injury and it, it, it lingered with him a lot longer than we thought it was going to be and, and he never really felt comfortable, but he feels good again now. So hopefully we can get him back to what he was when he before he had the injury. We've got really high hopes for Joseph. You know, we, we think he's really competitive, very tenacious midfield player. Um, Will's obviously in there and now Asani. And, you know, Asani before... Uh, the injury was playing as well as anybody in the country. You know, there was people talking about him going with the national team. So if we can get uh, Sony back playing, that would then allow us maybe free us up to put Robin Iyer up the field again. And then the competition there starts because you obviously Bongi, we've got high hopes for Bongi this year. And, you know, Fragger on the left with Cameron Dunbar and Menda Garcia, you know, we, we've got a lot of really good players. And, um, you know, if we can get two or three pieces to this group, and never keep everybody fit and healthy. I'll be very, very happy, Kendra. What do you think the expectation is, at least from your side, of a player like Mender Garcia, who we saw flashes of it, but he, you know, he comes into the season late. That's a tough task for a young player. And then also yeah. Luisa Maria. Well, I, I think you know we 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 can sort of beat around the bush a little bit and talk about it. But Luis started slowly, and he knows that when he came back. But when you look at the call light today, he got nine goals in 27 games. That's one and three. Now, that is not elite, but that's very, very good. Nine goals in 27 games. Now, if we can get Luis starting from the beginning, the way that he finished the season, you know, and, and Mendes certainly come back. He's incredibly sharp in training. Only had three or four sessions, but he's looked really good. And I think it's very difficult for people to understand what it's like for these young kids when they, you know, they're just 22, 23, and they leave their leave the country for the first time ever and they leave the wife and the kids at home. They don't know where they come in. They see the snow and then they, they think about back home, you know, so it's, uh, no, he, he will certainly be a lot more comfortable coming back to where, you know, where he knows where he's going now. He's got his house, he's got everything settled. So expecting big year for, for Mender, as I say, and we're looking to see if Bongi, you know, I spoke to him before he left and it was quite funny. I said to him, we need you to score more goals. I think that you can get between eight and 12 goals a season. What do you think? And he said, I think I can score 25. I said, well, that's a little bit of a stretch, I think, Bongi, but uh, I will be very pleased if you can get anywhere around 25. I've got to be be honest. But, uh, no, we, we, we've got, you know, we've got big hopes for them this year. When you forget that he had an injury late in the season as well that kept him out for some time. And I remember the constant hope was he's young, he'll heal fast. Yeah. When can he come back for the playoffs? What uh-huh. what what can he, you know, how how can he help the team? But yeah. we do, you know, I think um it's always nice to have guys that have high aspirations and goals like that, but you just don't want him to pass the ball every once in a while, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. But the one thing he, he did do, he got in there and on the, the got in really good spots. And as I said to him, I said, if you can continually get in on the back post from the opposite side, get in the box and take a, a, a small percentage of the opportunities that he got last year, he can get to he can get certainly seven, eight, nine goals a season, which is what you want from your your wide guys. 
And just to touch on the goalkeeper situation briefly, as we know, Tyler Miller departed and now you uh-huh. brought in Clint Irwin, but you still have Eric Dick and you still have Fred Emmings, who, yeah. you know, are options as well. What does Clint Irwin give you, assuming that Dane St. Clair is going to remain? I don't think he's in yet, correct? You gave him a little extra time with the World Cup and whatnot? Yeah, Dane arrives tonight, I think. So he's missed, uh, you know, with the rest of the boys, he's missed three or four days, that's all. But he, he asked for a couple of days to finish his holiday. As you know, he was with the World Cup for a, another month after everybody else. I think that was only fair to give him a bit of extra time. I think the, the the biggest thing is with Clint is that the minute I spoke to him, he said, I'm not coming here to be number two, which I feel, felt was great because I don't want him coming here thinking he's going to be number two. I want him to come here and push Dane every single day in training and if Dane drops his standards, then we've got somebody who's proven in the league to be able to be a really competent goalkeeper. And um, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Clint's experience, his knowledge, and um, the way that he trained, he's only been here a few days, but can tell he's a really good trainer. I think all that will rub off and help help Dane long-term. What were Stuart Kerr's thoughts on, on bringing a player like Clint Irwin in and a leader and a quality player like that? Yeah, I think that the important thing is that we, we needed somebody um, experienced, somebody who wanted to be here, which he did. He didn't take much convincing. And I think the, the one thing is that we, we rely heavily when it comes to goalkeeping on Stuart. You know, that's his specialised position. And um, he's seen these guys over the last sort of 10 years within the league. So we know what we were getting. And um, if Dane keeps progressing the way that he does and Clint's on the bench, we also know that whenever, you know, God forbid injuries for Dane or international call-ups, we have got a more than able deputy to come in and, and keep the goal for us. When you look ahead at preseason, I know that everything's, you know, everything starts off fast and furious because everyone's excited, energetic. Yeah. You go down to Florida, there's a whole new energy about the group. You get to play some games, you're on, you know, in the sun, yeah. you're on the grass. But how do you find a way as a coach and you're planning this out to pace the group because there's an excitement, then it gets kind of long and then you want to play somebody else and then you want to start real games. How do you, how do you plan that out? Well, with the sports science people, that's what we have to manage. We have to manage the load. You know, sometimes you don't want to put too much into them too early because then you, you, you know, the risk of breaking down, but then you want to make sure that they fit and they're really sharp. So you want to, so the balancing act is always that, you know, Normally, we only start with 30-minute games in the beginning, then it goes to a half and then an hour. And and by the time, you know, you get to the last couple of games in preseason, you're hoping that everybody's fit and healthy for the who can compete 90 minutes. And and then you, you've got a full, clean bill of health with your players. Um, you know, you're never 100% fit come the opening day of the season. You're always chasing your fitness a little bit. But the, the, the secret for me, and it's always been that, and I know it's difficult for supporters and journalists when they see the results of teams in preseason. I've said it all along. I've had preseasons where we've won every game and had the worst season we've ever had. And I've had preseasons where we haven't won a game, we've looked to shambles, and then we've gone on and got promotion. So, it, you know, you can never really work it out. For me, the most important thing is can we implement all their ideas with the ball, without the ball, then transition moments? get everybody fit and healthy and mentally prepared, get prepared for the season. If we can do that, then it's been a good preseason. 
I was just going to ask you that, what are the goals to get out of preseason? But you basically just answered it. It's to to implement the ideas and the philosophies yeah. that you have, whether it's with the existing players or whether it's with the newcomers. But also when you look at a player, and we didn't really talk about him, I hit it on, on him briefly. How does a player like Cameron Dunbar, who's so young and played, yeah. didn't play with LA Galaxy, the first team last year, but did the prior couple seasons, but he's still only 20. How yeah. does he fit into this? And how do you think, He'll adapt to your system and your style. Well, you know, we spoke to quite a, a few people, Chase being one of them, Chase Gasper, about the kid, and everybody came back and said, I'm surprised he's available, first and foremost. Um, you know, he's played 18 games for the Galaxy. You know, and he's only, as you say, he's only 20. He's really, really quick. He's got really good feet. He's got uh, he's got really quick feet. He can combine with people. And the way that we want our players to mix the game up, not just stand out wide on the touchline, but come in and play in the pockets, I think he's going to be fine for us. You know, he he's obviously a keen enthusiast of the game. He's he's watched all our games from last season. So that was I thought that was really interesting that he he contacted me and said, "Can I get all the games from last year? I want to see what you like from your white guys." So. He's already he's in tune with what we're after. So, you know, he's another kid that we're excited about. But, you know, I know from speaking to the people within L.A., there were, a lot of them were quite surprised that he was available. That's impressive because you just never know these days. Now we have all these tools, you know, Scout and everything else to be able to watch stuff. But when a young player like that reaches out to you and takes that initiative, it's not you sending it to him and saying, yeah, here, watch this. That yeah. You can tell you a lot about him. Yeah, he does. And, you know, he's a keen student of the game. He comes in. He's a lovely kid. He's got a big smile on his face. Um, his mom and dad here when they came over. I don't think they'd ever seen the snow. They came <laughs> down on the, they came on the big day that we had the big dump a few days ago. So, uh, that was an eye opener for them. I noticed they went back to LA pretty quick, but uh, no, it, you know we we've got eye opens for the boy. When you look at the the upcoming tournament specifically, I know Orlando's you'll have some games and whatnot, and you'll have training sessions. Yeah. But when you look at Coachella, a, a preseason tournament that, to my knowledge, you guys have not been a part of before, what intrigued you about that? Well, I, I think first and foremost, you always speak to the people who've been there before and everything came back positive. Hotels are very good, but more importantly for us, Kendra, as you know, it's the facilities or the fields of the you know required standard and uh, everything came back. You know, I'm 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 a little bit reticent to go there when there's like eight other teams there. There's not you're not going to catch anybody by surprise early on when you know everybody's there in the same area. Um, but the fact that you get quality games, you can you know you can mix it up. You can play an hour. You can play you know three half hours. You can play two teams if you want. So, I think the the rules are pretty much in our hands, which is which is a benefit. You know, because then it does give you an opportunity to to work on one or two things. When you look at how last season ended and how this season starts, when the schedule came out for you guys, mm. was there any? What was your first thought when you saw that schedule? You were happy to be at least in a warm climate for the first game. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, I'd accept the same result because opening day of the season, it's always very difficult, especially going on the road to Dallas. It'll probably even, even though it's in February, it'll probably only be about ninety degrees. Um, but no, it was a, it was a really tight game, obviously, and I don't expect anything different. You know, we, we've got a pretty tough start when you look at it. So uh, hey, we're gonna play everybody. Like you know, there's no uh, no surprises. And I know that if we're prepared and all our better players and big players are fit and healthy, that we're more than capable of playing anybody. 
I'm sure during the offseason, there's probably conversations around the league between some of your friends or maybe other coaches and other staff members. What was sort of the the overall the overall thought on how 2023 was going to go? You add St. Louis into the mix. Mm-hmm. The parity in this league is incredible. The competition, the yeah. quality of the players coming. And we saw Gareth Bale just announce his retirement. But in general, the quality of the players, yeah. you know, whether it's in the you, US. Kendra, I think LA will bring somebody else in. They, they don't normally sit idly by, do they, on the side? So, you know, I think like everybody, I think, you know, I think it's going to be an incredibly difficult league, the Western Conference this year. You know, Seattle didn't make it last year. That's not going to sit well with them. Portland have already started. They've already spent ten million on a number ten. They've got ten million waiting for another centre forward. So they're not going, certainly going to go away, and they're not going to get any weaker. It's going to be really, really tough. You know, we've got to, both LAs, and like I say, then I think that um, San Jose will be a huge improvement because I think Lucci will do a really good job there. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's not going to be any easier for sure. But, you know, as I said, I, I'm always, you know, my glass is always off and uh, off full. And I know that if we can get all our best players fit and add one or two pieces that we're looking for, I think we'll have a squad of players, you know, more than being able to compete. Well, I know. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk to you again during the preseason. I know you've got a lot going on, so I won't keep you too much longer. Maybe you're going to go. Are you going to go hop? I feel like one year you got really into the like the elliptical or the bike or something, because every time you joined us, you had just gotten off of one of those machines. I just got off the bike. Because, <laughs> I knew it. I knew because, it. Because By the way, if you had the, the December I had in England, you needed to do some exercise. So <laughs> I think I overindulged a little bit on one or two things, Kendra. So I'm working hard. It's, it's already coming off me. Jane's whipping you into shape. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks, Adrian. Appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll talk to you down the line again during preseason. So enjoy no problem, uh, enjoy the cloudiness and the snow and get down to Florida. Yeah, we will do. Good to see you. Take it <laughs> Good easy. to see you too. Bye. Bye.